you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. Okay, we're going to be continuing our study um, on the blessed life. We are actually going to come to the fifth beatitude today. We've been walking through the beatitudes. This is the prelude, the introduction to Jesus' most famous sermon. That is the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's going to be a rainy day all day today, all right? So I challenged you this a couple of weeks ago. Nobody maybe took the challenge, and if you did, great for you. If you didn't, uh, I'm going to challenge you again today. While you're inside and have nothing to do and tempted to take a nap, just spend a few minutes reading through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and that's the whole Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, and you'll see that it's rich, um, and it will be richly rewarding for you. Uh, but we're going to be coming back to this today. What we've been asking ourselves uh, really throughout this series is what does the blessed life look like? I mean, what does the blessed life look like? How do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we become the men and women that God has designed us to be? We know that he crafted and created us in a certain way for a certain purpose. So how do we step into that reality and how do we become the people that he has created us to be. Now, when we walk through these Beatitudes, what we've told you almost every single week is that these Beatitudes stand in complete contrast to the ways of the world. And that's certainly going to be even the case as we dive into the fifth Beatitude today in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. This is what it says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Very easy one to remember, very easy one um, to, to kind of internalize, but it's also a very difficult one to live out. <clears throat> Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, on the surface, this verse is exceptionally flattering. It's flattering to those of us who think that there is something that you and I can do to earn our salvation. It's flattering because when we read it, we think that this verse might communicate that in order for us to get the mercy of God, all that's required is that we give mercy to other people. That we earn something from God based on something that we first do. That God will give us much mercy if we're giving mercy to others. And that seems so easy for us to accomplish. That God will give us mercy based on something that we have done or something that we're doing. What I need you to know this morning is that's not what Jesus is saying here at all. In fact, if that were what Jesus were saying, then that would completely contradict what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 where he tells us it's for grace that you have been saved or by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. He says this is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no man may boast. God doesn't give to us based on what we do. God gives to us based on who he is. We need to understand that as we dive into the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What I want to do this morning is I want to walk through basically three steps, okay? We're going to define mercy. We're going to ask the question, what is mercy? And then we're going to ask the question, how do you and I become merciful? And then we're going to conclude our time together with where should our mercy be directed? That's where we're headed this morning. So let's begin by answering this question, what is mercy? What is mercy? Well, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines mercy like this. Mercy is compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender. Let's say that again. According to Webster, mercy is compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender. It's leniency and compassion directed towards the guilty. Towards the one 
who has caused the offense. We need to understand out of the gate this morning, really, the difference between mercy and grace, okay? Now, I know we talk about this a lot. You're familiar with this. Some of you have heard this all of your lives. Some of you, you're going to be hearing this for the first time. But mercy and grace are so intricately woven that sometimes we can confuse the two, okay? Grace is giving someone what they do not deserve. It's giving someone what they do not deserve. So my child, she has an attitude. She wants to sleep over with a friend. Well, she doesn't deserve a sleepover based on her attitude. But we are gracious in our parenting by sometimes allowing her to have a sleepover regardless of her attitude. We gave her something that she did not deserve. Mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. What my child might have deserved because of her attitude is to be grounded. But in mercy, she didn't have to suffer the consequence because we are merciful to her. We let her have that sleepover that was grace. And how does this work in soteriology? How does this work in salvation? Okay, many of you know this, but I want to explain this to you anyway. It's by grace that you have been saved. That wasn't something that you deserved. It was a gift given to you by God, as Ephesians 2 said. But what was the inevitable consequence of the sin that you committed? It was eternity apart from God in a little place called hell. Well, the mercy of God didn't cause you to suffer the misery and pain of hell. The grace of God is what gave you the gift of heaven through turning your life over and surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see how they work together, but they're also so very different. So on a basic level, here's the way that I want to define mercy for us this morning, okay? On a very basic level, this is how I want to define it. Mercy is compassion in action. Hear that? Mercy is compassion in action. Now, what I'm not talking about is a compassion that feels sorry for the guy when you are leaving Target and you see him standing there on the side with a sign that says, lost my job, help me feed my family, and you're like, oh man, I really hate you know, what that guy's walking through. That's compassion, if you really feel that way. But what I'm talking about is a compassion in action. That not only do you see this guy who's without food, wanting to feed his family, doesn't have a job, so what you do is you swing over to the Burger King, you pick up a kid's meal or a burger or whatever, and you go and you feed the guy. That's compassion in action. See, what mercy does is it always moves toward the need. It never avoids it or moves away from it. Mercy always moves toward the need. Recently, my son, he's five years old, and I, we were driving through Decatur. As we got off the interstate in Decatur, you know right there at uh, Wesley Chapel Road, some of you have been over there, um, we got to that red light right there coming back towards the McDonough area, and as we're stopped at the red light, you saw a guy who uh, presumably was a homeless guy. He was walking up and down the road, in and out of traffic, and what he was doing is he had a little sign that said that he didn't have food, and he was asking for someone to give him money. That's what he was essentially bargaining for. He wanted someone to give him some money. Um, so he was walking through these different cars by their window, and what do you do? What do we do as, you know, the, the sinners that we are? Don't make eye contact. Don't look at him, just avoid him, pick up your phone, hey, hey mom, how are you? You know, you, you do everything you can just to avoid making eye contact because you don't want that person to look at you and expect something from you, so you just avoid that reality altogether. Well, that's exactly what I did that day. We, we went to get a toy fixed, my son and I. While the toy was getting fixed, it took about an hour or two to get fixed. So while we were getting it fixed, there was a Buffalo Wild Wings right across the street, so he and I, we went to the Buffalo Wild Wings, 
Um, we ate some wings together just to waste some time. He played on the phone and I ate wings. That's really what happened. And, um, but we had these wings left over, so I boxed them up because I'm a good husband and I know my wife likes wings, and I'm going to bring all them back and give to her. Okay? So I thought about her while I was there. I didn't order for her, just gave her my leftovers, but that's a different story. So I'm going to bring these wings back home. They're sitting in the passenger seat. My son's in the back seat. We're at that red light. He's weaving through traffic, and I know that my spirit starts to feel like, you know what? You have some wings. You can give those wings to this guy. He, he's apparently hungry. He's asking for food. Well, no, God, that's not for the guy. That's for my wife. I, got, I brought those for her. I need, and if I go home, happy wife, happy life, my life's not going to be very happy because she's going to know I gave him some guy. So I sit there, and I'm debating this, and I just say no to God, and I pull off, and I go left. I'm headed back two miles down the road, and I just cannot shake it. Can't shake it. I'm like, man, I have something, I ought to give something to this guy. Like the Lord literally put wings in my passenger seat so I could do something with them. So what I did is I took about five of them out of the box and stored them in a napkin. And I'm just kidding, I didn't do all that. But <laughs> what I did do is I, I turned around and I drove back to the red light and I found the guy and I gave him the box of wings. Now he didn't even say thank you. He didn't acknowledge anything. But at the end of the day, I had a piece of my heart because I felt like I did what the Lord had led me to do. And I put my yes on the table. And sometimes you know what that's like. You've walked through a similar situation of your own. That's compassion in action. Mercy is when the Holy Spirit stirs compassion within our hearts and causes us to respond to the needs of other people. That's what mercy is. The Holy Spirit starts to work us over in such a way that we can't ignore and neglect the people that he's moving us toward that's what mercy means now on a very basic level okay I know that for some of you you're already thinking well that's quite convicting I don't need any additional input um, it is for me it was for me that even this week but that's what it is on a basic level we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what mercy is today as it involves this text that we're looking at today this is how I would divine it a little bit further extending my definition a little bit it would be like this mercy is compassion in action but it's directed toward the guilty it's directed toward especially toward an offender it's compassion towards those who have caused us harm it's not giving the offender mercy what they deserve that's what mercy is so we choose not to respond and give to the offender what he deserves now again you're already thinking well that pushes against everything that culture teaches us culture teaches us that if you have hurt me then my response to your hurt of me is that I should hurt you and now the gospel of Jesus is saying that's absolutely wrong a friend spreads gossip about you mercy doesn't respond by spreading gossip about them mercy doesn't respond with vengeance mercy forgives your child or maybe a spouse says some harsh words about you mercy doesn't grow a cold, a cold shoulder towards a child or towards a spouse? No, mercy simply forgives. Maybe a neighbor is rude or a coworker is cruel or a family member has stabbed you in the back. Mercy doesn't grow bitter. Mercy forgives. But again, what does the culture around us, what does our natural inclination do? What does it do? Well, we seek revenge. Someone hurts us, and we want to hurt them. You've heard it said, hurt people, hurt people. That's what hurt people do. But listen, in the process of trying to hurt others, listen to me, 
you're really only hurting you. In the process of trying to hurt others, you're really only hurting you. See, God did not design you to operate in the same way that the world operates. You stand and push against the currents. God did not design you to live in the bondage of your own bitterness. He sets you free from that. God did not design you to be a slave to your own sullenness. No, again, God sets you free from that in Christ. God didn't design you to be held captive by your cynicism or to be imprisoned by your indignation or to be held hostage by your hostility. No. God, through Christ, sets you free from that so that you could walk like him and live in him. That's what this is about. The goal here is a blessed life. The goal here is to live the life of Jesus. Remember, this word blessed means happiness that's not based on circumstance. So no matter how someone might have treated you, you're choosing a different way of living. I'm not going to respond to you who have harmed me with harm. I'm going to respond totally differently. See, the blessed people are the people who, hold bitter, who, who don't hold bitterness in their hearts towards those who have hurt them. The blessed people are those who choose to forgive. They put compassion in, in action. They direct that compassion towards the guilty. That's what mercy is, okay? We said we're going to define mercy. And then what we're going to do is we're going to ask, how do we become merciful people? Now that we know what mercy is, it's our compassion in action, especially towards those who have offended us, especially towards those who are guilty. Now we're going to ask this question, how do we become merciful people? There's two ways I believe we become merciful people this morning. First, we remember God's mercy toward us. The only way that you and I will ever be able to respond in forgiveness to those who have hurt us is if we constantly remember how gracious and how merciful God has first been to us. Listen, church family, this is a discipline, a daily discipline that we must develop. If we're going to walk like Christ and talk like Christ and look like Christ and win people for the glory of Christ, it's only going to be because we develop disciplines that look like Christ. When we forget how merciful God is to us, that is a very dangerous place for us to be. You know, one of the things I love about Scripture is it tells us that we are to emulate the life of Christ. And one of the things that you know about Jesus as we're told to emulate his life is that when he came from heaven and lived on this earth, he did so in a way and lived his life in a way that modeled for us how we're supposed to, to live. That's what he did. He's a model for us. And this is, this is the example for us of how we're supposed to live our lives. But even in modeling the life that we're supposed to live, he even sometimes told us, hey, I want to teach you how you're supposed to do that very action. For an example, some of you, you're like, well, how do I pray? Well, Jesus is like, well, you don't have to worry about it because I'm going to teach you how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a model prayer so that when you go to pray, you know exactly what to do. So he even modeled prayer for us. He did this in Matthew, again, 6. So he gave us this model of prayer. And what's fascinating about the model of prayer, by the way, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to read the model prayer, okay, because it's in the next chapter. But when he gave us this model prayer, he incorporated this idea of remembering God's mercy towards us. Watch. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your, your otherness, you're holy, you're everything but what I am. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This life I live, it's not about me. This life I live, it's all about you. On earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Not just the physical things that we need. Don't just provide those. Provide even the spiritual things that I need. And listen, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Now watch, as we also forgive our debtors. The model prayer that Jesus prayed is, God, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. See, Jesus only uses this term debt two times in Scripture, or two times in the New Testament. You know, this word debt is not like credit card debt, that you compile a little bit of credit card debt that you need to go pay off, okay? That's not what kind of debt this, this word means. This word debt literally means completely and totally bankrupt. The debt is so large that I cannot pay it back. And what, what he's saying is, Lord, forgive us as we have committed sins against you that are so large that we cannot pay these things back. That's the beauty of this gospel is that you and I are in such a debt because of our sin that there is nothing that we can do to claw our way back to God. You have a sin debt that you cannot pay, but the beauty of the gospel is this, that even when you could not pay your sin debt, Jesus came and paid the debt for you. Your sin, your sin, don't applause yet, Miss Brenda, we're about to get good, okay? Your sin, listen, your sin deserved one thing, and that is the wrath of God to be unleashed against you. And you can't imagine the power of the wrath of God being unleashed against your very body. And here you were in your sin, and there God is in his holiness, and his wrath deserves to be unleashed on you because of that sin. But yet Jesus came on the earth, and he stepped between you and God. And he looked at God, and he said, you put trace sin on me, and you put your wrath against me. I'm going to take all of that wrath so Trey doesn't have to fill it. If Trey places his faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, he never tastes the wrath of God because Jesus has already dealt with it on the cross of Calvary. So when God looks at Trey, he doesn't see Trey and his unrighteousness and his sin and his great offense against him. No, what God sees is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on Trey. Isn't that good? I think it's great. I think it's really good. We have this idea, I don't know where it's come from, it's so American of us, we got this idea that we can earn forgiveness, that Jesus wasn't sufficient, that, that Jesus wasn't enough, that there's something we need to do to earn forgiveness. God, in order for me to go to heaven, I need to, I need to correct this, this behavior, I need to start doing these other behaviors. I gotta create a list of things I'm supposed to do and another list of things I'm not supposed to do and I gotta make sure I'm really good at this list and really good at this list and we start working our way, trying to get back, claw our way back to God. Listen, if you think you can earn God's forgiveness, listen, you'll also think that other people need to earn yours. Some of you didn't get that. If you think that there's something you can do to earn God's forgiveness, then you'll also think that there's something other people need to do in order to earn yours. That person who's offended you, that person that's hurt you, oh, well, they need to gain my respect back. They need to gain my trust back. They need to gain this back. They need to do this. They need to do that because I'm not forgiving them unless 
If Jesus related to you and I like that, we would all be doomed and destined for eternity apart from him and have absolutely no hope in this world. That's why the gospel's so good, is the gospel takes root in our lives. We recognize that just like we didn't do anything to earn God's forgiveness, so do other people not need to do anything to earn ours. We forgive for our own freedom. We forgive so that we can walk in, in Christ. We forgive so that we can look more like Jesus. That's why we forgive. So why are people so unwilling or so willing to get forgiveness? You ever notice that? People are so willing to get forgiveness, but they, they struggle severely with giving forgiveness to other people. I'm like that too. Some of you are as well. It's because we forget God paid our debt. So first, we become merciful people by remembering God's mercy toward us. But there's a second thing here. We also become merciful people by remembering mercy's not the goal. Jesus is. You hear that? We have to remember mercy is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. My job as a pastor here and our job as pastors here is to help you look more like Christ each and every day. You know, we talked about this in Matthew chapter 6 a moment ago where Jesus modeled for us what a life like him looked like. He modeled for us this model prayer. I want to to read it again to you, and I want you to think about this, okay? Matthew chapter 6, this is in verse 9. It says, pray then like this. Jesus is telling the disciples, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's our verses in verse 12. This is the verse we talked about. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, so if you're looking at this prayer in your Bible right here in Matthew chapter 6, you're going to notice how it's indented in your Bible. That's where the prayer ends. Okay, Jesus is done with the model of prayer for you and I to follow. He, he, he's showing us that this is it. This is kind of where it ends. But do you realize there's one point in this model prayer that Jesus circles back to? And he does this right here in verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It was as if Jesus was saying, I know that there's a part of that prayer you're probably not going to like. And I need to circle back to it so I can make sure you heard it. And he says, for if you forgive others of their sins, well, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Your willingness to forgive others, no matter what the offense may be, is directly connected to your understanding of how much the Father has also forgiven you. Directly connected. Those who have been forgiven much, They forgive much. What do you mean, Trey? Here's what I mean. As you and I in our lives, if we have a narrow view of our sin against God, if it's just like this, this is how much sin we've committed against God. I mean, you know, we cheated on that paper back in high school. Maybe every now and then we told somebody we didn't bake cookies and we actually baked them and ate them. You know, whatever. You know, we had these small offenses, small infractions of the law. We don't think they're very, you know, big. They're just like trivial things. And this is our view of of us as sinners before God. As we start to grow more and more aware of our heart and how sinful and more and more aware of how desperately wicked our heart is and more and more aware of how deceitfully wicked our heart is, all of a sudden this sin that we know that's in us gets larger and larger and larger. And the larger that sin gets, the greater need for grace that I have. And remember what the Bible says. 
For as great as your sin might be, the grace of God abounds much more than even that. So the larger we see that we are sinners, and the more sin that we have in our life that we're aware of and we recognize, the the more forgiveness we recognize that we need, as that mercy comes lavishing down on us, we also now are able to forgive that much more because we know how much God has first forgiven us. You remember the parable of the unforgiven servant in Matthew chapter 18? Remember the story? Jesus gathers the disciples together and he starts talking to the disciples about forgiveness. And he's telling them this story about forgiveness and then Peter, being Peter, what does he do? He just spouts that in the middle of the lesson. And he says, well, Jesus, I got a question. You're talking to us about forgiveness. I mean, I've got a friend back at, at the house. Man, he, he does a lot of bad offenses against me. And my question to you, Jesus, is how many times am I supposed to, you know, forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus responds, in some translations it says 77. In other translations it says 70 times 7. Jesus is basically saying you're supposed to forgive a lot. Now if you're super literal, you can do the math, and 70 times 7 is 490. So if you're supposed to forgive someone 490 times a day, and you divide that by how many minutes are in a day, that means every three minutes you're supposed to be forgiving somebody. Again, what is Jesus' point? You're supposed to forgive a lot, a lot, right? There's no excuse for us not to be in that mentality, but I love how this story ends. Jesus tells the story about a king who forgave someone of their debt. And he says that this king had this person who had offended him, this person who owed him something. In fact, he says he owed him 10,000 talents is the word that he used. You can do a quick Google search. You can look in commentaries. Everybody's going to tell you that 10,000 talents is the equivalent of $3.5 billion on earth today. So this king was owed three and a half to $5 billion. That's a big number, guys. B with a B, billion dollars. Somebody owed this king. And the king canceled the debt completely. In his mercy, he said, you know what? I'm not going to require you to pay that debt. I'm canceling your debt completely. And then that very same man had someone who owed him what's equivalent to $10,000. You know how big the gap is between $10,000 and $3.5 to $5 billion? It's a tremendous gap. It's like a penny you know, to $7,000 or something. It's, it's a tremendous gap. It's as wide as the ocean. $10,000 to $3.5 to $5 billion dollars. The king said, I've forgiven you of that, and now this guy goes. He cancels that guy's debt, and this guy goes. And he literally chokes a man who owes him $10,000 and demands that this man pay him back. And Jesus catches wind of that. He's thrown into prison, and then he calls this man. He says, you need to come stand before me. He goes and stands before him, and Matthew 18, 33 says this. This is Jesus talking to this guy. He says, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Well, where did he learn mercy? He learned it because he was forgiven of his own debt. And now Jesus is saying this, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Jesus is saying, no, mercy's not the goal. Jesus is the goal. 
You remember what I did before you? That's what you're supposed to do. I just acted in mercy in this instance so that you could see what mercy looks like. This is what Jesus is saying. If you lose sight of how much I've forgiven you, you will not have the ability to forgive other people. When you see that the gap between your offenses to me, that's like three and a half billion dollars, and someone else's offenses against you, that's like $10,000. There's an ocean of a gap between them. And when you keep your eyes focused on how great of an offense you've committed against me and I had mercy on you, man, that should make it really easy for all of us to have that same kind of mercy towards those who have offended us. That's what Jesus is saying. James takes it to a whole new level. James chapter 2, this is what he says. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You hear what Jesus or James is saying here? If you are not showing mercy to others, there's a chance you've never experienced mercy yourself. Mm. Some of you, you're here today and you are struggling to forgive. You're here today and someone has hurt your feelings, they've said something behind your back, maybe they've done some really, really gross infraction of the law against you, and you are struggling to forgive. And Jesus says this very plainly and simple, if you can't forgive them, perhaps, just perhaps, there's a chance you've never experienced my forgiveness of you. Some of you, you're bitter, you're cold, you have resentment boiling up in your heart, in fact, even at the sound of my voice right now, you can see, you can feel the barrier, the wall beginning to build because you are just so determined. You're not going to forgive that. You're not going to let that go. You're going to continue to hold that action over that person's head. Why do you think that is? I think there's one of two reasons. First, because you've never experienced a love so great that it completely forgives all of your offenses. Maybe for you, the reason that you have that resentment, that unwillingness to forgive, that anger in your life is because you've never experienced the mercy of God towards you. And today, for the very first time, you need to surrender your life to the mercy of Jesus and recognize that all of your sin was paid for. And everything that you've committed, no matter how gross it may be, was forgiven at the, cro at the cross of Christ. But for others of you, there's a second reason. You've simply lost sight of the mercy of Jesus that's been extended to you. You remember that day that you recognized how great the gift of God was through the sending of a son? But somehow along this journey called life and other people kept hurting you, you've somehow just lost your understanding and lost the ability to remember how great the mercy of God was first to you. And, and now because of that, you're struggling to extend it to other people. So my last question that I want to answer this morning is where do we direct our mercy? I mean, think about it. We've defined mercy, compassion, and action towards other people, especially the guilty. We talked about how we become merciful. We remember God's mercy towards us. And we also remember that mercy is not the goal, that Jesus is. So let's land the plane here today and let's ask this question. Where are we to direct this mercy? The first place I think we should direct this mercy is we are to give mercy to those who make mistakes. You have people in your life who've made a mistake? Maybe an honest mistake, maybe the same mistake twice. Can I, can I be real with you this morning? Can I tell you that this is where the church has failed? 
This is where the church has failed. We find more satisfaction in judging others than we do in loving others. And for some reason, we find a greater delight in being the judge rather than just being the person who loves. Remember what James said, mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus is most evident in my life, in your life, when we give mercy, not when we give judgment. May if, if our community says anything about us, let it be this. Man, that church, they love so hard that I've never felt judged. See, we need to give mercy to those who make mistakes. Second, we are to give mercy to those who have hurt us. Those who have hurt us. There are some of you in this room right now, the wounds in your life run really, really deep. And honestly, some of us cannot fathom the thought of what you've walked through, of us having to walk through it. You have yet to forgive someone who has severely hurt you. But listen, Jesus modeled mercy to you because your sin was a great offense against him. Don't lose sight of that. Well, that person betrayed me. <clears throat> your sin betrayed him. Well, that person abused me. Your sin is what led to his abuse. Your sin, church family, is what led to the death of Jesus on the cross. As hard as it is to believe, you have to hear this. Your sin against God is greater than anyone else's sin against you. And what did Jesus do with your sin? He cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them. Mercy. For they know not what they do. Jesus cried mercifully on your behalf so that you and I could freely extend that same mercy to other people. And there's a third person. We are to give mercy to those who make mistakes. We're to give mercy to those who hurt us. We are to give mercy to people who are far from God. You know, Matthew tells us if you even read further than the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to learn more from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus tells us that he dined with tax collectors. He dined with sinners. Like he spent his time with people who were far from him, who were far from the Father. And let me just go ahead and clear up this. Like this was not his justification to participate in their lifestyle. Some of us as Christians have that idea. Well, Jesus went and dined with sinners, so, so I should go out to the club on Thursday night with sinners too so that I can point them to Christ. Well, yeah, but if you did what Jesus did and constantly talked about Jesus the whole time, your friends aren't inviting you out to the club the next week, okay? They're just not. But that's what Jesus did. He dined with sinners. He talked to them. He pointed them to himself. And you do understand that in the process of doing this, he made church people mad. They didn't like this idea. But I love what he says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Listen, go and learn what this means. What? Listen, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come into this world to condemn the world. I come into this world to set this world free. For I came not to call the righteous, I came to call the sinner. For some of us, we need to extend mercy to people who are far from God. And this is where we're gonna end this morning and this is probably the best one on the list. You ready? We are also called to give mercy to ourselves. You're called to give mercy to you. 
Somebody in this room, I guarantee you, needs to hear this. Someone needs to show mercy to themselves today. You need to forgive yourself of an action maybe that you've committed. You came in this morning and you feel just like David in Psalm chapter 38. Listen to his words. For my iniquity, David says, my own sin. They've gone over my head. I am drowning under my own problems. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds, they stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and I am crushed. I groan because of the tumult, that's confusion. The disorder, he says, of my own heart. For some of you, you walked in today and you feel some of the very same sentiments about your life that David felt about his, why would God ever forgive me? You know, I want to encourage you by reminding you that God loves to use the most unlikely of people. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy? Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. This is who I was, and this is what I did. But I've received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That means you and I, we need to fully accept what Paul is saying. What does he say? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but for some of you, someone has hurt you, and today's the day that you say, I'm choosing to forgive them. I'm laying that down. I'm not holding myself hostage any longer. I'm ready to walk in godliness. And for some of you today, you need to be forgiven yourself. You're saying, you know what? When I look in the mirror, I don't like the real me. When I think about who I am, I don't like me. I don't like my mistakes. I don't like my decisions. I don't understand why I keep doing this over and over and over again. But I'm ready to break the pattern. And I'm ready to forgive me today. And I'm ready to declare like Paul said, this is who I was. But I've received the mercy of God through Christ Jesus. And that who I was is, is who I am no longer. Because my sins were dealt with at the cross. Father, we come to you this morning and we do pray that you will help us forgive those who have harmed us. That you will help us practice what you have called us to do. And that is to give mercy to other people. And I pray that we first have to experience and taste mercy ourselves. Ma'am, sir, if you're here today and you have never tasted the mercy of God, you will never be able to give and extend that mercy to other people. Maybe for you, maybe you're online, and this is the day, to, today's the day for you to surrender your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, I recognize for the first time who I am as a sinner before you, and there's nothing I can do to claw my way back, but thank God for sending your son to do for me what I cannot do for myself, for dying in my place on the cross, taking my sin upon himself so that I could experience and taste all of your righteousness in Christ Jesus. 
Maybe there's someone in your life today that you need to forgive. You need to quit playing the game and quit walking around like you're in cuffs and bondage to someone else's harm against you. And today's the day for you to say, you know what, I am ready to forgive. Today, maybe you need to go to that person before you leave today. Maybe they're in this room and you need to say, brother, you didn't even know you did this, but you did. And I need you to know that I forgive you. I don't want there to be anything between me and you today. Jesus has already dealt with that. I want to move on and emulate him and look like him and walk with him because that's the blessed life. Maybe your person's not in this room and maybe you need to pick up the phone as soon as you get in the parking lot. You need to pick up the phone. The longer you wait, the more the enemy works. You need to pick up your phone and you need to say, you know what, I'm calling that person. If they don't pick up, leave them a voicemail. Hey, I really need to talk to you today. Can you please call me back? And you need to say to them, I forgive you. Maybe it's a child. A child has hurt you as a mom and dad and today's the day you need to forgive. Maybe it's a parent. A mom and dad's hurt you, and today you need to forgive. The goal here is not mercy. The goal here is Jesus. We want you, we want all of us to look more like Christ as a result of today. What we're going to ask you to do is do business the way that God is leading you to do it. I know he's dealing with so many hearts in this room. I can see it on your faces. So just ask the Lord to show you exactly what he wants you to do and put your yes on the table. Don't get two miles down the road and have to turn around and come back. That's what I did. Just go ahead and put your yes on the table and follow the Lord faithfully.